Right, you ready? Born ready. <laughs> really? Yep. Okay. I would have liked to have been on a pod with you when we were first born <laughs> and see if that was true. <laughs> you can't deny it, though, because you weren't born yet. That's true. You would have been way better. <laughs> when I was first born, you would have totally Schooled nailed you. it over me. Yeah, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to give a point at all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine. I'm the digital resource curator for Faith to Go. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the director of formation for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And welcome back, everybody, to the burlap season. <laughs> it is Lent. It's almost Lent. If you're listening to this when it comes out, it's not quite Lent. Lent. You are preparing for pancake suppers, Shrove Tuesday, burning some old palms in a safe fashion with a liturgy probably. Yeah. I don't really like pancakes. (sighs) We're going to have to cut that. We can't have that on the (laughs) (laughs) air. No one will ever listen to this podcast again. I have attended so many church pancake suppers and I am happy to be there and support them, but I don't want to eat the pancakes. I am not okay. a pancake person. What is what is your preferred breakfast baked item? In the same genre of a pancake, mm-hmm. I would prefer a waffle first. Okay. French toast second. Okay. And pancake 39th. Wow. Mm-hmm. As we've already said, it's about to be Lent, everybody. So we're going to be talking about the gospel for the first Sunday of Lent in year A, 2023. And that is Sunday, February 26th. We are going to do something a little bit different for this Lenten season, where we're each going to go back and forth, and maybe the guests as well when they're on the podcast, sharing a Lenten practice, a spiritual practice that you might take on in this season of Lent. That's one of the things we do in this new liturgical season. Every Lent, we sometimes give something up, sometimes take something on, all as an invitation to further self-examination, creating space for that kind of uh, better understanding of the self, growing towards authenticity and, and who we are becoming. In that spirit, Charlotte's going to start us off. She's got a Lenten practice she's going to share. Charlotte, yeah, take it away. So this Lenten practice, I actually began back in like 2015 as an opportunity that Lent to walk more closely with Christ. We'll get to the title of it in a minute. Mm. But um, it was so good for me as a human that it is something that I have actually incorporated into my life every single day since then, except for when it's raining, reasons to come. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, and it's by, it was created by a woman named Anna Fitch Curry. It's a book that's called Christ Walk. She also has a blog that um, she has up that has it, and we can include that link for the resources in there. But the idea is that it is a prayer practice that involves walking. Mm -hmm. And you commit to walking a certain amount either every day or you are taking a total sum of how far you're hoping to go in the 40 days of Lent and then you divide it out in order to get that number and then you walk that per day. And she has a lot of roots on both the website and in the book. And they're broken out by beginner, intermediate, and advanced as to how far you can go. And so like you can do the Nazareth challenge, which means that you walk between Nazareth and Jerusalem, which is 65 miles and breaks out to being 1.6 miles or 4,000 steps. We all wear those little step counters on our wrists now, right? You can go from Jerusalem to Damascus. Uh You can get further than that and do the Bethlehem challenge. 
So you commit to doing five miles per day and for a total of 200 miles by the end of Lent. That's a a lot of mileage, right? Mm -hmm. I did that one one year and that was a lot of mileage because I go early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So we'll include the links so that you can look at all of the routes and think about that. But I want to talk about what the actual practice involves. And it's really kind of up to the individual as to how you want to approach it. For me, it is my prayer practice and I keep, I have, it looks like a little bookmark. You could use a post-it note or anything else you wanted, but I keep a, what's shaped like a little bookmark on my bedside table where I just have names of people that I'm praying for. And sometimes people graduate off that list and people get added, but it's there. And I usually look at the list before bed at night. And then I look at it again in the morning before I'm going to go on my walk. Then the reflection happens while I'm on the walk. And it's just that those people's names, having reviewed them right before I go, means that then they start to pop into my head as I'm walking. And I think about my relationship with them. I think about what it's there is that they're experiencing in their life. Um, and in thinking about them, I am naming them to God. And I love it because there is an openness of it and acceptance that maybe I don't know exactly what it is that they need and that God knows far better than I do what it is that that person is experiencing and where there is the opportunity for connection and support that falls into that. But by naming them, I am naming my love and my value of them to God and offering in a way that I'm saying, hey, here's this person that I love and care deeply about, and I know that they are dealing with something right now, experiencing something right now that you need to be invited into. And even if they haven't named that feeling that is on their heart, that experience that they're having, as someone who loves them, I am. Mm -hmm. And so intentionally, then as I am walking, I am walking with God, I am walking with Christ through this journey and bringing all of these other people with me, all of these people who have connection to me. So I offer, this as a Lenten practice, 40 days is not a huge undertaking. You get one day off each week. Sundays don't count. Nice. Right. Mm -hmm. But it is a way to use your feet to start a prayer practice that maybe might be a little different and rewarding for you in this season. Mm -hmm. So nice. And it gives you a sense of how slow Jesus was going, really, <laughs> stopping, staying over. If you, if you can walk from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem in 40 days, <laughs> and it took him three years. <laughs> I mean, There's definitely something to wrestle with in that. Yeah, he was stopping. That is great. And we hope you all think about that practice, maybe try it on. Uh, maybe you have your own practice that you do every year, or you're just trying a new one this year that's something new. We'd love to hear from you either about your experience of trying this Christ walk or what your practices that you're taking on your experience of that. So we'd always love to hear from you. You can email us, send us a voicemail, text us, get in contact through Instagram or on the website. You can find all those ways listed in the description for this episode. We'd love to hear about your spiritual practices, your Lenten experience, and any of your questions or comments from your your week of faith discussion and reflection about the gospel. Now we are going to get into our conversation about said gospel. This, again, is for the first Sunday of Lent in year A, February 26, 2023, and the gospel is Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Charlotte's going to read it, and then I'll have some context, and we'll each have a point. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He lasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. All right, so we are going back in time from last week's gospel, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Uh, And so as we enter this new season of Lent, we're setting it up as we usually do with this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, and his interaction with uh, what the gospel is calling Satan or the tempter. Two different, two different titles for this character. Uh, and so that's where we are. We're in chapter four. So we're like 13 chapters backwards in time. And this is happening right after Jesus comes up out of the water from his baptism. This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased, says the big voice from the sky. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So that's where we are. We're just after the baptism, backwards in time from the mountaintop that we talked about last week. Charlotte has the first point. I do. And I love that it actually kind of goes with my spiritual practice for Lent as I was Mm. reading the gospel just now. Unplanned. They are partners in this work. So my point comes from the very beginning of this gospel, the first sentence even, which is where we hear, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And as you named in your context, David, right, this is right after the sky has parted and the voice has boomed out. This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And, you know, the the spirit is present in all of this. So the spirit is there and present in the baptism and Jesus is then led into the wilderness by the spirit, says it right here. Mm-hmm. And we actually hear this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in both Matthew and Luke, we have Jesus being led by the Spirit. In Mark, it's phrased a little bit differently. It says that Jesus is driven mm-hmm. into the desert. Um, so, But in this case, reflecting on this gospel from Matthew and the idea that the Spirit leads Jesus implies that the Spirit is with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because when someone leads you, they go with you mm-hmm. on it. When someone drives you, you are sent Mm-hmm. on your way. And I love the idea of this relationship, um, this partnership, and the fact that in this season, this whole temptation season that Jesus is navigating, that he is not alone, um, that we think of it as Jesus being tempted by the devil. That is what we hear in this story. Mm-hmm. But unless the spirit stopped at the gateway into the wilderness, the spirit led Jesus into this place, whether that is a physical presence, like there's lots of things that we we don't get to know about that. But the opportunity to reflect on it is if Jesus didn't have to go alone, then it gives us the opportunity to remember that we don't go alone. 
and that we are constantly in relationship with God. And sometimes we willingly name that and we lay things at God's feet, quite often looking for a miracle, if we're honest, whatever it is that we're really struggling with, we're looking for that to be healed and fixed miraculously. Um, but I think that maybe the miracle in some of it is just the acknowledgement that in all of that pain and all of that struggle, struggle in the temptations that we face, that God is with us in those things, that, that we have that built in connection that is something that we don't always notice, but is ever present. And I was thinking about that also as we get to the end of this reading, because then we hear that the devil leaves him and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. And that does imply that God was never gone from this place, that the spirit was never gone from this place, because otherwise how would the angels have known to show up right then? Right? Like, unless they had, you know, a tracker on Jesus, but... (laughs) But the reality of it is, right, that there was this ever presence there through this whole season of temptation and that there wasn't any fixing to be done in it because it wasn't about the fixing. It was about the relationship. It was about the fact that like, hey, you are doing this really hard thing, but you are not alone in it. I am here with you. Mm -hmm. And maybe we should have expected that because in the gospel that we read just before this during the baptism, when the sky cracks open and God bellows down that this is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased, well, you would never leave your beloved alone. Mm. You would never leave that person to their own suffering without being there with them in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nice. And I think um, I think it's just, as always, it's such a cool way of opening the season of Lent and and just thinking about trying to reframe it from what sometime from what it has often been thought of as like a time to like of like self-denial for the sake of self-denial <laughs> for the sake of being tempted you know it's like the temptations aren't ends in and of themselves the whole point is like just imagine this time when Jesus is like everything is stripped away for 40 days and 40 nights doesn't talk to anyone isn't with anybody uh doesn't have any food you know he's just out there and when He's creating so much space, like a ridiculous amount of space for him to engage with who he is, like with mm-hmm. his identity. And all these questions are about identity because they're mm-hmm. all, if, if you're the son of God, you know, if you're the son of God, this, if you're the son of God, that. And so it brings up when we, when we create the space for these kind of questions to arise, it is hard because it, it brings us to a question of who we are. And which is like a foundational question to being a human, who we are and how do we understand ourselves and what is the most like authentic version of us and who are we invited to be and to become. And like the idea that even in that challenging time, even in those challenging questions, um, in the uncertainty and the confusion of it, God is not gone. That God Mm -hmm. is the question itself, Mm -hmm. you know, like God is there in the midst of that wrestling. And what you said just then is such a a cool thing to think about because it is a penitential season, Mm -hmm. Lent, um, and yet we always focus on creating our own temptations, right? Mm -hmm. Like that we're going to give up chocolate Mm -hmm. or we're going to give up um, social media Mm -hmm. or whatever. We're going to give up, we're going to tempt ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what about if instead we acknowledge that the temptations already existed and that instead of creating something to focus on, instead we focused on what was actually going on in our lives, the mm-hmm. things that, you know, that we're already experiencing and inviting God into those places. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because really Jesus isn't just giving up food for fun. Mm-hmm. He's doing it to create space for a thing. So it is taking on a spiritual practice. Right. So giving up the thing is taking on a spiritual practice, which is what we're, we open the show with. So that's the kind of a whole idea, is to create a space for these kinds of questions to arise. Because when we create the space, they are naturally arise in us, like you're saying. They're mm-hmm. always happening in there. And we have a lot of ways that we go about ignoring the questions. <laughs> So true. And maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's <laughs> social media for Jesus, maybe food, you know, but he like discerned for himself what that thing needed to be and, and then created the space for that by taking on this practice. So my point is similar to something I said last week, thinking about the mountaintop, Moses and Elijah being there. And I was talking about this kind of like ancestry and generational, the, thing, the ways we like carry the generations that have come before us with us and how Moses and Elijah being there is like this indication of how Jesus carries with him all this history and the hopes and the dreams of his uh, community and, and his ancestors. Interestingly, um, this 40 days and 40 nights is like maybe an allusion to the 40 years wandering uh, for the Israelites. Also, though, both Moses and Elijah at different times and different parts of Hebrew scripture do 40 days of fasting. So even in this story, which comes, you know, like I said, 13 chapters or 14 chapters before the mountaintop, Jesus is still kind of, Matthew is still alluding to Jesus kind of carrying Moses and Elijah with him and doing and kind of taking on that same role. So Matthew's always like tying Jesus back to Israel. You know, like he goes up, he has the Sermon on the Mount, tying it kind of to Sinai and Moses with the tablets. Uh, he goes, you know, in and out of Egypt, you know, kind of like the uh, the Hebrew people. And so there's all these ways that that Jesus is sometimes is kind of like stand in for Israel. Mm. I was thinking about that and just like all these ways that he is tempted. Matthew is like kind of trying to get us to remember the ways that Israel was tempted in their relationship with God. And so in all these ways, you know, like complaining about not having enough food in the desert, and being like, oh, when we were enslaved, we at least had meat. <laughs> and God's like, really, guys? <laughs> Come on. And Moses is like, what am I going to do with these people? You know? And so, but the, the idea for Matthew, I think, is to be like, look, Jesus, as the one carrying on this whole legacy of these people, of this people from whom he emerged, from the generations before, that made decisions that hurt them. You know, Jesus is being being offered these same choices, and he's choosing something different. And in choosing something different, he is in some way redeeming his whole people that have come before him. I love that idea, and I think about that a lot, especially as a parent who Mm -hmm. has my own traumatic and frustrating challenges with my parents, and they had theirs with their parents, you know, in like generations back, thinking about like family systems theory and generational trauma and the way that Like we just kind of replay the choices from previous generations until we in some way interrupt those patterns, you know, and try something new. I'm just imagining not only that we have the opportunity to do that all the time, you know, personally for me, like thinking about generations of my family, but just as a community, thinking about generations of our communities, whether that's church or the U.S. or Western civilization or just like all these larger and larger circles we're always like faced with the same choices over and over again. You know, like these temptations are a tale as old as time, Mm -hmm. you know, like the idea that, that there's a voice in you always like tempting you to, 
deny your truest identity is something that we're all doing all the time. The idea that we're being like challenged to like seek power rather than empowering others is something that we're challenged with all the time. So we can, whenever we're like making, I think the, the beautiful thing about this gospel is that whenever we're making a different choice, a new choice, we are in some way healing the generations before us. So that whenever we're doing our own healing, whenever we're becoming our own authentic selves, whenever we're choosing love and gentleness, when we're interrupting those patterns of trauma, we're not just like creating healing now and into the future, but like that healing reverberates backwards. Mm -hmm. Matthew is describing Jesus doing this generational healing that goes back in time, ripples in both directions. We have a responsibility not just to ourselves, but to the generations before us and after us to heal, you know, to not pass along trauma, but to heal it and integrate it, to make different choices, to better understand the choices that were made before us and to make new ones. And again, we need the kind of space that Jesus creates here in order to do that. That doesn't just happen on its own. Like mm -hmm. we have to have intentional spiritual practice that creates the space for those things. And whether that space happens with therapy like a person that is walking alongside you or spiritual direction or a personal prayer practice and probably should be all those things and conversations within a community and, you know, with trusted friends and things like that and family members. Like there's so many opportunities all the time. And it is a really courageous act to do that. Yes, it is. Um, but it also is healing beyond just ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when we think about it like that, it, it makes it worth all the energy that it takes because it's not just my healing but the healing of my dad and my mom and their parents, and the parents before them, you know, and all the people that passed along trauma rather than stopping it. That's what I, that's what I love about this. Well, and I love that reflection, like what a tremendous blessing that is in general, because very often when we do choose to break those patterns and to heal those cycles, we're thinking about the generations that are going to come after us, mm -hmm. that we are changing the way that this has always been done historically so that our children and our children's children can have a different outcome, a different experience mm -hmm. than the one that we had. And part of that always feels like an acceptance of what has been broken. And instead of accepting what has been broken, the idea that it has been healed is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. It moves me because it often feels like those are things that are lost and that cannot mm -hmm. be found. Yeah. Granted, especially when those people that were in your life have passed on, mm -hmm. you don't get to have those conversations with them, mm -hmm. those healing conversations. And yet in naming that healing ourselves, that all of that has been healed is really a beautiful way to embrace relationship and human frailty and to name that, yes, we are healing this for ourselves. We are healing this for future generations. And I am healing it for all of those who have come before me. Mm -hmm. It gives such a beautiful opportunity, especially when people have died in our lives that we that were in our immediate family, like both of my parents have died. But that doesn't mean that I my relationship with them ends or that their healing ends with their death. It's like my mm -hmm. healing is their healing. And so that gives a lot of hope and I think is has a lot of like theological things to unpack about it, thinking about heaven and afterlife and what, what carries on into the future and, you know, the cloud of witnesses. It's like everybody's rooting for us because our healing is their healing as well. Those are our two points for this week. 
point number one was Charlotte's about the omnipresence of God in all things. You know, that, that even in our most challenging times in the wilderness places, uh, God is there with us. God is in the questions that we're asking, those hard questions that we're asking ourselves, uh, trying to become our more, most authentic versions of who we are. And number two was mine about generational healing, about Jesus's like taking up the the trauma of previous generations and and healing it in the desert in his in the space he creates with his spiritual practice and the invitation for us to do the same. If you would like to share with us what your point would have been this week if you'd been the third yet the uh, guest on the show, we'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear about your spiritual practice, your experience of Lent. Uh, we'd love to hear your take on pancakes. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Any other breakfast-related <laughs> reflections? <laughs> we'll be back next week to talk about the second Sunday of Lent in year A. That'll be the first Sunday of March. And until then, we say goodbye. Goodbye, Bye, everybody. everybody. Thanks for bringing it back full circle to the pancakes, David. Well, the whole time, I just, I could, I just was just so preoccupied wondering about the pancakes. <laughs> What is it about the pancakes you don't like? They just don't do anything for me. Yeah. You know? Are they just boring? It's like, it's like the honeydew in the fruit bowl. It's another one like that for me. Right? Like, I just feel like it's... It lacks substance. It does. Whereas a or waffle... Or it has a substance that I'm not a thrilled with. Yeah. But a waffle you like... Has, is it the crispiness Probably. of the waffle? And the little pockets for butter and syrup. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, a waffle is magnificent. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.